0: Hey, Pulse Check listeners, this is Jeremy Siegel continuing our series on the coronavirus pandemic. If you've had any trouble trying to get an at-home COVID test, you're not alone. Major retailers are sold out of the at-home tests, and medical supply vendors can't find enough kits for schools, shelters, and nursing homes. They are popular, results in just minutes, but finding one has been an issue.
1: Obviously, these tests have been in short supply. Pharmacies have put limitations on the number that consumers can purchase at one single time.
0: That's David Lim, who reports on all things testing for Politico. And he says that problem might soon be coming to an end.
1: I think the bottom line is that recent developments indicate that there is going to be increased supply of these COVID-19 at-home tests in the coming months.
0: Today on the show, David looks at what a new testing push from the Biden administration could mean for you and me and what we should all know about testing at home. Here's our conversation.
1: So the Biden administration is announcing that they are making an additional investment into at-home COVID-19 test Mm -hmm. that they believe will help contribute to a quadrupling of the available supply of these tests by around mid-December. They also believe that previous investments and a recent emergency authorization of a new COVID-19 test from a company called Acon Laboratories will help the country achieve a tripling of the current market by early November.
0: So there's a big investment in at-home testing How much of a game changer could this be? Like, what will the real world effects look like? Does it mean everybody is able to have like a a good stock of COVID tests at home? Kids are going to be able to be like tested daily at school. What sort of effect do you think this could actually make?
1: That's a great question, Jeremy. I think you have to ask yourself where these tests are going to be used and how many there are. So what the administration has told me is that they aim to have about 200 million rapid at-home COVID-19 tests being produced per month by December. Hmm. So that basically means there will not be one at-home test for every American in a given month. Hmm. But what one has to keep in mind is that at-home COVID-19 tests are only one tool in the testing toolbox. There are also... Millions of PCR tests, which are usually conducted at a laboratory, as well as professional antigen tests, which can be used at the point of care, that don't really um, fall into that at-home category. Uh So altogether, you, I think it remains to be seen really what the availability of uh, COVID-19 testing will look like um, once you take into account all those different types of tests. And another thing that might change is how. The COVID-19 pandemic itself looks like um, over the next few months, if cases continue to go down, we might see adequate number of uh, tests being available. But if if we see a sustained number of infections, I think many public health experts would argue that there aren't enough rapid tests to meet the demand even with this additional investment.
0: Well, yeah, I wanted to talk about that because I was I was just reading a New York Times analysis that looks at how difficult it can be right now to get one of those at-home tests and they pinned some of the blame for that on the FDA, essentially saying the agency focused its attention too much on the PCR tests that you mentioned, those tests that you know you'll often go to a testing site to get, um, and then you'll wait a few days for your results to come like by phone or by email or something. do you agree with that take on this situation?
1: So I think it's important to kind of look at what the criticisms of the Food and Drug Administration are, and they often center on this idea that if the agency only had a lower standard for the rapid tests that they allow on the market, these at-home tests, that there would be numerous amounts of these things available to Americans to use on a daily or even more frequent basis. A lot of people point to um, strategies that the United Kingdom and Germany have employed to really get these tests out there. Mm -hmm. But in terms of those tests that are being used in those countries, one has to look at some of the uh, actions that the Food and Drug Administration has taken Um, One test that's being used um, in the UK is this test developed and used by ANOVA, a company named ANOVA. And the Food and Drug Administration a few months back issued a rather scathing warning letter raising concerns about where those tests were actually being manufactured and the quality of those tests. Mm. So that's one thing to keep in mind. And then other FDA sources have also pointed out to me that in recent weeks, Germany has actually taken some of the rapid tests that they were relying on off their market. Um, So I think that there's a conversation that is a little bit more nuanced about where the appropriate standard is for the reliability of COVID-19 testing um, when uh, Americans are using these tests at home.
0: That's interesting.
1: Another thing that recently happened, um, on Friday, a company named Illum announced that there were manufacturing problems with their at-home COVID-19 test. Yeah, it's a
0: recall. If you have an at-home COVID test, you may want to make sure it's not on the recall list. A Diagnostic company, Ellum, has issued a voluntary recall for specific lots of its at-home COVID-19 tests because it's been giving a lot of false positives. And yeah, you, really you really
1: have to, to wonder there if there was a lower tests. quality of COVID-19 test and these types of results, these false positives, or potentially even false negatives, were more frequent, what the impact would be on public trust and the ability of COVID-19 tests. One has to balance their desire to have more COVID-19 tests on the market with the reliability of the tests that people are are using to make decisions in their everyday lives. So that's kind of the perspective of the FDA. Um, They maintain their standards for the performance of the tests that they're allowing to be used. And, The last thing that I would say on this is when the Biden administration took office, there was a lot of emphasis on saying we're going to make the investments and utilize the DPA in a manner necessary to get COVID testing to a point where it can be used in daily activities, including back-to-work testing, back-to-school testing. And while the administration in recent weeks has really made these new sizable investments I think it's going to be approximately $3 billion. A lot of people are questioning why that didn't happen sooner prior to the um, current uh, Delta variant wave. Um, And a lot of people say that the administration really focused, perhaps rightfully so, on ensuring that they could get vaccines to as many people as quickly as possible. And one result of that was that all of the mass testing sites early in the pandemic were kind of converted. To mass vaccination sites. And then when COVID cases started to decline late in spring and into early summer, a lot of those sites weren't really converted back to mass testing sites. So another uh, plank of what the administration is announcing is that they're trying to get the number of pharmacies where people can get free COVID tests expanded to 20,000 locations Um, Currently, we're under 10,000. The administration thinks we're going to surpass that number of pharmacies offering free COVID testing in the coming weeks. But in combination with um, some other free testing sites, the administration really wants to get that number up to a total of 30,000 free testing sites um, where Americans can go and get tested.
0: I want to talk a bit more about the accuracy of the rapid tests that are available right now and and that the FDA has deemed usable in the US? Um, Because at the end of the day, rapid tests are just like on the whole less accurate than PCR tests, right? Oh
1: boy. Um, (laughs) There is, I think, ongoing debate about what the appropriate role of at-home test is. Some proponents are very vocal and basically say these tests are effective at detecting infection when people are Mm -hmm. the most infectious and therefore a critical tool to stop spread of COVID-19. Essentially, you're going to get your result back within minutes and you can immediately take steps to isolate from other people and that can help break the chains of transmission. Mm -hmm. Um, The Food and Drug Administration currently has a policy in place for most of its at-home tests, which basically says, hey, to mitigate against the accuracy concerns with these tests, you should take one test on one day, and then on a different day, you should take that an- another test. So that's the reason that you have Binax now um, in two packs, essentially being sold to consumers. However, I kind of question how many Americans are actually using that test in that manner.
0: Yeah. I mean, I wanted to ask because uh, this is purely anecdotal, but like I know people who came into contact with someone who had COVID, tested themselves with a rapid test, tested negative, but then a few days later were sick. And I mean, that makes me curious. Like if we do mostly just rely on on rapid tests, it's possible that people can, think they're negative, but be like, pre-symptomatic and, and spreading, right?
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's a concern with all types of COVID-19 tests. I think if you remember back to the earlier days of the pandemic, um, there was this recognition that you can be asymptomatic for up to two weeks. Uh-huh. I think with the Delta variant, there's some evidence to suggest that that time period is a little shortened, mm-hmm. but you can still test uh, negative on a certain day and then develop symptoms on a different day. And I think people really need to build that into their uh, behavior when evaluating it uh, after a close contact, if they can, you know, go to a party or go to a restaurant, um, Mm -hmm. you know, be a responsible member of society to kind of cut the chain of transmission.
0: Well, speaking of parties and stuff, um, I've heard about a number of events doing things like in addition to requiring that people are vaccinated, having people get rapid tested at the door. And on the whole, that sounds really safe. But I mean, I'm just curious, like, is that a a sure thing safety measure um, to be doing that, especially if the people, you know, coming to the event and are getting tested at the door have already been to a number of locations with possibly infected people before that?
1: Yeah. So I think another thing that public health officials really have emphasized over the past two years is that. Nothing is going to be a silver bullet. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of steps that people can take to ensure the safety of themselves and those around them, and that can include getting fully vaccinated against COVID nineteen. It can include wearing a mask when you are in crowded situations, especially indoors, and it can include uh, COVID nineteen testing to you know add that extra layer of protection um, when you are entering um, you know a-, a situation like you described. Um, what do you think the
0: testing landscape is going to look like months and even years down the line?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think one thing to look at is the terms of the contracts that the administration is signing with some of these diagnostic manufacturers to expand production. In some cases, some of the tests might be delivered within a fairly short period of time. In other cases, it might be months or even years between when those contracts are signed, and when the terms are actually fulfilled by those manufacturers. So I think it will be important to look at the totality of the steps the government is taking, and then what the diagnostic manufacturers are doing to make sure that they have the ability to respond quickly if another threat emerges.
0: Hmm. Well, yeah, I was going to ask about that. I mean, given everything we're doing right now in all of these countries producing tests, how do you think this could if at all help us prepare for another virus in the future like are these things cuz i know people talk about like the rna vaccines especially being great because you might be able to use that for other viruses down the line is this testing capacity that we're building up is this something that you could potentially transfer to other threats um in the coming years
1: yeah so i think that you you see the administration and public health officials and organizations like the Rockefeller Foundation really talking about what preparedness might look like in the future. Obviously, we're, let's put it this way all Americans now know what a PCR test is. And mm-hmm. I can say for certain that that was not the case in January 2020. Um, Obviously, these types of systems have been built up, and hopefully the next time that a threat emerges we will be better prepared. FDA officials have made it clear that certain things need to happen faster next time, including um, samples of the emerging infection. The actual virus or bacteria underlying the infection needs to be shared with diagnostic manufacturers more quickly so that they can actually get started on validating diagnostic tests and Getting those tests out to the market. That was a big challenge with COVID 19, where some of these firms couldn't actually get a real sample of COVID 19 to be able to use for development of these tests. Um, so that's something that I think people are a little bit more aware of. Um, but obviously, that will be challenging on a number of levels if it is e- either difficult to get samples of the virus or um, other biological threat, or if another country is not exactly willing to be super transparent or share those type of data.
0: All right, that's the show for this week. I'm Jeremy Siegel, and big thanks to David Lim for joining me. If you want to follow all of David's reporting, be sure to sign up for the newsletter he authors. It's called Prescription Pulse. You can find a link to that in this episode's show notes or at politico.com slash newsletters. You should also sign up for the Politico Pulse newsletter, which features all of the top-line health news of the day. Same thing for that, link in the show notes or at politico.com slash newsletters. Also, subscribe to this podcast, Pulse Check, if you haven't yet. And if you have a second, leave us a rating and review. Pulse Check's senior editor is Raghu Manovalin. Our senior producer is Jenny Ament. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you soon.